from the Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. All right, everybody. If I, if I start preaching today, you can blame Jamie Yevzeski for getting me all worked up right now. All right. We are um, continuing our series called uh, Sus-Sus, which means something that is um, suspect. And uh, there's sayings that Christians have used for a long time that's rooted in love or it's forward-facing kind, but really behind it. It can bring violence and toxicity. And before I start, um, I just want to say out loud that um, here at Neighborhood, um, that we are a radically inclusive community, right? And so if you are queer and you're out or you're queer and you're not out, you are, you are not just welcome here. We had you in mind when we built this whole thing, right? And so we um, believe that everyone is fearfully and wonderfully made and that the lived experience should be very, very diverse. And I say that today because what we're talking about could be triggering. I'm going to be using some words um, that could be triggering, right? And I intentionally chose to speak on this topic because I've um, seen it used and weaponized against a variety of people, but really it's been targeted mostly towards queer people. And so we're going to do like a, a little dive into something I believe is toxic, but on the other end of it, what it can be and what we can do is something liberating and free. So I want to say that um, out front and those who are watching or listening online as well. Um, I went to a fundamental evangelical church in seventh grade here in town. And I'm here as a pastor today because of that um, beautiful, crazy, toxic, at times, church. Right? I really would not be here if it wasn't for Pastor Phil Baker and all the mentors that I had that noticed me and invested in me and um, inspired me. And deconstruction, part of deconstruction is you look at the things you've been carrying with you, and there are some things that I, to this day, carry from that, that fundamental evangelical church. Right, um, But there was a lot of things that I carried with me that I no longer could, and I had to leave them behind. Instead of leaving behind and say, now burn the whole system down, I can look at that and say, oh, man, that's too bad that I believe that. It's too bad that I said that. Um, but I didn't know any better, but now I know, and I do better, right? There's, you can be kind to yourself as you transform. What does Richard Rohr say? He says, um, transcend and include. Continue to grow and include the things that you love and the people you love and the things that don't help you. You're transcending beyond it. In this group, in this church, this is the first time I ever heard of um, anyone talk as queer people, or we called at the time, this is early 90s, gay people, as being bad, right? I, I knew what it meant to be gay as a, you know, fourth or fifth grader, but I never associated it to anything evil, right? It was different, and we'd mock it. That's not helpful. Um, but never did I assume that it's something that 
you're going to like burn in hell for, right? It wasn't until I got to this youth group of where they said things like, hey, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And then we all go, huh, 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 because we'd laugh because we'd feel uncomfortable. It was a way to get out a biblical narrative that they took from a mythical story in Genesis 1 and 2, right? And then label it as truth to make their heterosexual normative um, feel better and stronger. But there was a problem. Right? It was a problem for the fundamental evangelical church uh, because um, the queer people were becoming more um, loud. They were becoming more visible. And to this day, I still have people saying, hey, Chris, why is there so many like, students who are coming out as trans? Why is there so many people who are non-binary? Why is there so many people who are gender fluid? There's like, what, like, what's happening? There seems so much more. Truth is, they've always existed. They've always been there. Right? It is a part of creation. This is a part of what this world is. It's just that we called them witches and killed them. Right? It's that we made laws that made it illegal for them to marry the people that they love. And that's not that far long ago that we did that. Right? We, we, we pushed them in a corner and said, be quiet. And that caused violence to their body and to their mental health. What's happened now is that we, have, we had black transgender women hit the streets in New York right? Advocating for that, that we're here and we're queer. We had um, um, uh, Milk. Henry? Henry Milk? Right? Harvey. Thank you. Harvey Milk, right? Who led a whole movement. And all the thousands of other queer people that voices were never heard, right? Who were silenced. That like made it possible. I remember being in youth group and talking about Ellen. Does anyone remember Ellen, her TV show that she came out? You remember that? It was like Satan himself appeared and said, I'm going to murder the world. We're like, no, right? Like, it, it, they had a problem that it was becoming more um, normal. And so the evangelical church didn't know how to respond, so they responded with kindness and love. No, they responded with fear and toxicity, right? And I remember being in youth group and them teaching us that, um, I even remember a conversation I had with my friend Steve, um, uh, on, well, Chris, do you know that if someone's um, gay, it's from a demon? And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, because there's a way of being a man, and, if you, and there's a way of being female, and if you act outside of it, what it means to be a man or woman, that's unnatural. If it's something that's unnatural that's causing you, it's going to be something supernatural that's influencing them. And so I'm like, wow, this is where pray the gay away came from. Anyone ever heard that before? Right? Pray the gay away. Um, I'm glad and thankful that I was never put in a situation where we did an exorcism on queer people. But I can tell you, I've talked to dozens of people who have. There was one, um, one gentleman I talked to where his mom sent him to, um, to this counseling center with priests, and they performed several exorcisms on him. And he believed it, and then he hated himself because the demon never went away because he was gay, right? Like, it was in this youth group that I believed that it was my job to go tell all these people that, you know, like, hey, if you're gay, I'm sorry. The Bible clearly says, mm, if you want, we did a whole message on that several weeks ago, Sussus number one. You can go back and listen to it. Um, but I had a friend. I had a friend named Anna, and I'm still friends with her. And Anna was in ballet, and she was a very cultured person. We're all happy for Anna. She traveled the world, the famous ballet company. I went to Hayward. She went to Germany. Um, um, <laughs> she, honestly, she would message me. She's like, hey, I'm in, like, France. And I'm like, hey, awesome. I'm in Mattawa. So, 
Um, the <laughs> I would say things like, oh, man, that's so gay, right? And then she'd stop me. I remember this in ninth grade she, in French class, and she stopped me. And she said, Chris, like, so whatever you saw, you saw that was stupid or it was weak, and you called it gay. Are you implying that my friends who are gay are stupid and weak? Because that's what I hear. And I'm like, I apologize. I never use it on purpose as a derogatory term from there, right? In sixth grade, I was the first time. So I'm comparing in youth group, I was hearing these toxic, evil, demonic things. But outside of it, there was a lady named Vicki Shulander, Grant Shulander's mom. And we were playing a game where if you had the ball, you got to tackle each other. And there was a derogatory word associated to it that we had no idea. And she came out. I saw her, she came out, and she's like, um, friends, we are not using that word, queer. We're not using that word in a derogatory person because these are beautiful people with stories. And I remember, like, I have no idea what's happening. I didn't know what that word meant. I just thought it was a word for tackling football, right? And it was the first time that someone said, hey, pay attention because these are people and they matter, right? And in, in our home, it was never talked about as it being bad. But all of a sudden, I show up in youth group, and I'm like, they're telling, it's bad. So it was my job in high school and junior high to inform people that if they're gay or their friends are gay, that there's something bad and less them, and we need the gospel to save them, right? And, but it was weird because you're supposed to, like, love, but you're also supposed to call sin, sin. And, like, we didn't really know how to do this well until this saying came from the heavens as Moses itself put on a tablet and dropped it down for us where I still remember reading it. I'm like, oh! We've solved it. We found a way. And, this, this, and I want to raise your hand if you've ever heard this before, right? And it's um, love the sinner, hate the sin. Right? Anyone? Have you heard that before? Right? Love the sinner, but hate the sin. And I remember like, oh, I can actually love people and hate them at the same time, right? It's true. But it made me feel good because a lot of these sayings are not for other people, Right? It's more of a way to slap ourselves on the back, right? And I'm going to talk a little bit today about why that statement, and you can use many different words, right? Why that's so violent and toxic. Um, where I want to end, right, where I'm leading you is a place of wholeness and inclusion and being your fullest self. But history lesson, um, do you know where in the Bible this is said? Do you know who said it? Because it's not in the Bible, and Jesus did not say it. Right? Most time at church, he's like, do you know who said this? You're like, the answer is Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. It's not. It's Thomas Aquinas. In the 5th century, he wrote, um, is it? In the 5th century, he wrote, demon, Thomas Aquinas, with love for mankind and hatred of sins. From 5th century, we've adopted it and tried it different ways, or now we got it, love the sinner and um, hate the sin. So what makes this sus-sus? First, you are separating a human, and you're taking humanity away from him, and you're, and you're, you're creating this gap, right? So love the sinner. What you are saying in that statement, and again, it sounds good. It's like, I'm going to love the sinner. What you are now, what I'm calling Misha then, right, is I'm saying, Misha, you're no, not a human. You don't have dreams and beauty and uh, grief. You're just a sinner, right? And when you do that, when you can reduce someone to just a sinner, then you have permission to do, again, horribly violent things. Because where this idea comes from, I still think it's the single most um, dangerous theological construct, and it's called original sin, right? Original sin came from, not Thomas Aquinas, um, uh, third, fourth century, um, uh, Dietrich, I need your help, uh, um, 
not Gustavus Adolphus. Augustine, thank you, I got there. Um, <laughs> Gustavus Adolphus, the college, got me to Augustine. All right, Augustine took a very, very poor translation or interpretation of a couple of verses that Paul said, and a, I'd say a very vile interpretation, again, of Genesis 1 through 3, and called original sin. And uh, what he said and what he believed is that sin wasn't some idea, wasn't some knowledge, it was material, that it was passed through your DNA, through your genetic bringing and upbringing, it would be transferred to other people. He viewed any kind of, um, I'm going to try making it PG, uh, any kind of sex outside of procreation only, and even then it was bad, and even then it was evil, it was just less bad because the act of your sin was a baby that was also sinful, right? Anything outside, and he um, was very, very um, misogynistic because he blamed women for tempting men, right? So if you, this is the whole context of original sin that is commonplace amongst Christians, right? And since it's material, it can be passed on. That means when, um, <laughs> when my son was conceived, at that very moment, sin entered him, right? And when he's born, I love talking about this, he's born, you can, you can have that baby and you see him for the first time and you love him, you can say, wow, look at this little sinner. Wow, he is a sinner. This little baby he took his first breath, he's already a sinner, right? The reason that this is toxic, because the things you can justify when you think that you are a depraved human, Calvinism, the things that you can do when you believe the, the deepest part of you is that you're just sin, then you're going to be just, oh, God, you need to rescue me. Oh, God, you need to save me. Oh, God, I'm so thirsty. Oh, God, I'm so hungry. All these worship songs that are rooted out of place at the core of you is bad and evil, right? And that's not true. And this is the narrative that people have taught queer people from the very beginning. If you would have tried a little bit harder, you'd be loved. And we treat queer people as second-level second citizens, right? Because if you truly believe it, and this, again, most people never think about what they mean when they say original sin. The truth is that you were born with light and wonder and beauty and wildness, right? That's where, it's where we need to live. And the starting point of how you move towards humans and how you move to yourself and how you move towards this good and beautiful God is a miles and miles apart, right? So, as I told you, you got me preaching, Jamie, right? So, the um, hate the sinner, and then you go to love the sin, or hate the sin, right? That word is intentional, right? It's not tolerate. It's not observe. It's hate, because what does hate give you permission to do? If you hate, do what? Anything you want. That's exactly right, and you can justify anything you think do, vote, and act, kill. Because when you hate something, there's something inside of you. If you've ever hated a thing, if you've ever hated a person, if you've ever hated yourself, you can justify, and you have, I have justified horrible things in the name of, I'm doing it because I love this sinner. I can hate the sin and do violent things. Why? Because I love that sinner. Do you see how this just gives you permission to do incredibly toxic things? This is why that word just feels good because it protects us. It protects those who have any kind of power, right? So, l before we move on then, how, how do we define sin? Because this is wildly important, right? When you hear the word sin, Barrett, do you have any good feelings that come along with it? <laughs> let, let the viewer show. He just went, yeah, right? Yeah. 
good, right? Uh, I sat down with a local pastor, and we were talking about sin, and I was very, because uh, he's much more conservative, but he t- took a very similar approach of, we treat the word sin, right, of like it should be something we're afraid of. Why? Because Paul says the wages of sin is death. Ooh, death. And we don't like death. We're big time not fans of death. When you treat it like if you sin, there's death. I'm dying. I, there's less of me happening. It's evil. Boo, right? If that's how you treat sin, then you're like, well, we, we're not going to engage with it, which is just us lying to ourselves, right? Or we call something evil. Well, that's sin. Me cutting corners about paying my taxes so I can make a couple extra hundred dollars, that's different. Why? Because I win in this, right? What, what is sin then, right? Sin is, um, <laughs> I love when I get to use this word, biblically, mm, sin is, uh, uh, is, a, is a term for arching, or arch, arching, archery? I don't, uh, clearly not an archer, right? Bow and arrows, that's what it is, right? And it, you, you get the bow and arrow, and you want to hit the center, because if you hit the center, people are like, wow, you're a really great person. And I'm like, yes, I am. But what sin is, if I, if I shot the bow or the arrow, and it was like two feet to the left, I'd say, oh, I sinned, because it is off from my original target. So what would you do? You get the arrow, come back, you try calming your breath so you're not shaking, you'd stop crying, you would, you know, account for wind, and you'd recalibrate so that you can hit the center. That's what sin is, right? If this is how we treat sin, it's just missing the mark, then it's to be human. It means you're alive. Because as you're trying to be your fullest self, you're going to try and play things out. And you can't know if you're moving towards target unless you are examining yourself and aware, oh, I'm a little off-center. I've sinned. Instead of saying, you horrible person, why did you sin? Why did you do that? Instead, it's like, yeah, you did. What do you want to do with this energy? I want to redirect. And that's the word repent. Repent, we usually associate like, get on your knees and cry, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. Repent has nothing to do with emotions, right? And there can be emotions, there should be, right, if you're repenting. Repent is just uh, is about face. It's just moving your direction, moving your energy, moving your momentum towards something else. If you label sin like that, then, it, it, again, sin can be destructive, right? If you, are, if you are cutting corners on your health over and compromising over and over and over again, that sin missing mark could kill you. It could lead to, to consequences. And some people are probably are going to watch and say, oh, Chris is celebrating sin. Yeah, in a way I am. In a way I am. I'm saying the, the most dangerous life is the unexamined, Right? Jesus said that we'll know you're Christians by the way you vote. Yes, that's it, right? No. It's by the way you love, right? It's by the way of it. How do you know if you're loving? You're going to have receipts, right? Your kids are going to have receipts if you're loving or not. Your friends are going to have receipts if, the, if, if you love them or not. Your neighborhood's going to know if you love them by the fruit in your neighborhood. There's results. How do you know the results? You have to look for them. You have to ask. So to me, sin can be a threat, but an examined life. This is why I go to therapy. This is why I choose to be honest and vulnerable. If you ask me any question six years, seven years ago, I would have told you what you wanted to hear. You ask me any question, I'm going to be painstakingly naked. Well, not really naked. Vulnerable, right? I'm going to be honest. I will not undress, I promise. <laughs> um, no, I forgot where I was going. Um, of... Uh, you have to, this is what community does. You, quote-unquote, sinning does not mean you're a horrible person. 
It's not a threat. It means you're alive. And if we can normalize that, then you don't have to lie. You don't have to pretend. to be. You can be your honest self and say, yeah, I missed the mark, and can you help me because I'm trying to redirect towards who I want to be. And secondly, you have to have some idea of who you want to be, right? You have to know what your goal is. For me, I want to be as Jesus-looking as possible. And the way I pastor, the way I love my partner, the way I raise my kids, the way with my friends, my family. And so sinning then is not a threat. It could. For the wage of sin is death. Yeah, if you're investing in continually missing that mark, what you're going to get back in return is you're going to be dying to who you should be. Right? And who you should be is we should be Jesus-looking people showing up in the world. All right. So where I, I end is this. Um, who gets to define what sin is then? Right? If we take this statement, love the sinner, hate the sin, um, usually that statement is attached really to queer people's bodies and experiences, right? But, like, why that? Who de- defines what the sin is? I could tell you, those who have power, those who have, like, the dominant um, lived experience, they get to define it. And so dominant experience is uh, cisgendered, um, heterosexual mainly white people, right? And we can say, oh, man, you're sinning because you're different than us is a way of us slapping ourselves in the back. And what was told to me and what you still hear is, oh, man, you know, um, queer people and queer marriage is destroying the fabric of the family unit. Now, it's not just about that queer person living their life and saying it's a sin, their experience is threatening our very existence as a family unit. Again, weaponizing that experience to hold on to the dominant experience, right? And why do we do this? Because most of us live in a finite reality, right? Finite reality or worldview means um, there's only enough of X to go around. And so we must hoard. This is an evolutionary response, right? There's some part of our animal brain that when COVID happened and they said, hey, there might not be enough toilet paper, that all of us lost our minds. Anyone want to confess right now you lost your mind on toilet paper? <laughs> right? Let's get it out. Let's work it out, right? Sin is not a threat here. So, um, right? And what did people do? They justified. They justified pushing carts in front of elderly people, Right? That's not funny, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah's laughing. <laughs> Sarah's like, ah, I want to see that one. Um, oh, no. I'm, uh, right? They would do violent things to people. They'd race down. I mean, Sam's Club had to make signs. Stay here. They had a line that says, don't cross this line. They probably had armed guards back there, right? Why do we do that? Because we think somewhere inside of us, there's only enough, and it's me versus you, Joe. It's my toilet paper over your toilet paper, right? In 1965, I got to pull this up. Not 1965, 1665. There's a a, a woman named Elizabeth Kay, and she was biracial. Her dad was a prominent English man uh, and part of Parliament. He was a big dude. Let's say that. I can never get that word right. And um, he had relations with a black woman. Right? And so they have this biracial girl. And she's enslaved. And she um, comes aware of the law, the English law, that says you cannot be enslaved if you are English. Right? And a Christian. So she goes before the court and says, well, my dad is this prominent Englishman, and therefore his citizenship goes to me. 
I'm an English person. I was baptized as a baby um, Christian, so therefore I can no longer be enslaved. And it worked, and they freed her. And what did the white people do? They said, wow, our laws work. It's bringing equity to people. These laws, it's helping empower people out of slavery and have right standing amongst all of us, said no one, right? It took them several years later, several years later, to change the entire law. This is in the 1600s, right? To change the entire law from it being hereditary through the man, they change it to the way you get English citizenship is through the woman, right? And why? Because the white men can sexually assault anyone they want and have no consequences, right? When your power is threatened, we, white people, white men, have done toxic things over and over and over and over, right? And just so you know, they also made it a law then um, any kid that came through the woman for generations, infinite generations, they would be enslaved. Now slavery was hereditary, right? We did that. And we still do it. We still enact laws and we say, but we just love the sinner, but we hate that sin. And all it is is a group of people, a demographic people who want to hoard the power, right? So what are we supposed to do, right? Jesus, he's kind of a big deal. This is what he says in Matthew 7. Um, This is out of the message, message translation. Do not pick on people Jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, friend, when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe the ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. I love that. The, 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 it's the story of the log in someone else's eye and the speck in your own. But I love this idea of, of washing. Jesus repeatedly over and over and over goes, hey, where should your energy go? To you. Be hyper aware. Be self-examining your life. Be aware of where your energy, your love, your bias, your fear, your love, where is it going? Because if you do that, right, we take the words of Jesus seriously, which I do, It means we show up in a room, we show up in this world focused on us being our best selves. We self-examine, we have the receipts, and we sin and we repent. We pivot over and over. So when I show up, a Jesus-looking person does what? Believes, includes meekness, humbleness, kindness, joy, forgiveness, right? If you bring that energy in the world, That can transform a world. And I love the idea of if you do all your own work, you might be able to offer that washcloth to someone else. This is what I love about Neighborhood Church. Like, think about times where you found some transformation. And how many times has it because it's been out of fear? How many times has it been because someone put a finger in your chest? How many times has it been out of shame? Like, transformational experiences. How many times has it come out of deep love and someone willing to hear you, believe you, and cry with you, right? This is what I want for this church. This is what we had in mind from the very beginning. A place, we we say it all the time, you can be a real you. God's a fan of the real you. 
and you can move to be your fullest self. And if you have permission, not even permission, Someone, someone said, uh, hey, Chris, I'm a little concerned. I've been listening to your messages, and it sounds that you're kind of like um, affirming uh, queer people. I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. I am radically celebrating queer people because we radically celebrate all people to become their fullest self. If that's the culture, then people can walk in, and they, they can't help but feel that they too can be honest and vulnerable because we're not going to judge people. Right? We're not going to judge people. And if you want to get into a conversation of what, it, what we do and what that looks like, there's a healthy way of doing it without being a toxic person. So I'm so thankful to be a part of this community because I get to sin. Right? There's pressure at times of people saying, you do what? I'm like, yeah. Like, of course I sin because I'm trying to be my fullest self. So I'm going to pray. And then Nikki, are you, Nikki's going to do a song. Nikki's going to lead us one more song. But if you are watching or listening online or you're here and you want to, one of two things, you want to confess, we underplay the beauty and power in a confession. This is a Christian tradition that we still hold on to. If you want to confess, maybe something you said or maybe something you did, or maybe it's something you didn't do that you know you're supposed to, I'll be up here or you can DM me and we can, we can talk about um, and doing that later. Or you are here, and you would like some encouragement. You'd like some prayer. Maybe you are going through something hard. Maybe you are um, closeted still in your gender identity or your sexuality. Or maybe something completely different. You just need someone to talk to. I'm here. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to join us. Or here, be, acknowledge the Holy Spirit's already here and ask God to do beautiful things. So join me. So God, we love you. And I thank you for the wisdom of the Christ that we don't have to go around throwing washcloths at people or get hoses out and start spraying people down saying, we're doing it out of love. (laughs) But we can see maybe the way is our judgment, maybe the way our bias. Ignorantly or on purpose that we've hurt people or we've removed the humanity from people and we repent. We recognize that as sin. It's not who we want to be. And so we repent to move our energy and move towards being a Jesus-looking person where we are hyper-aware or self-aware of the things that we need to work on, the things that we need to own, the things we need to learn, and the things we need to unlearn. So Holy Spirit, will you empower us, open our eyes and our hearts to be able to see how we can know better, do better, and be better. Because God knows that the world needs it. So we use our love and our creativity and our managerial skills and our education and our, and our shoes and our streets and our car and our food and our homes and our intellect and our moxie to bring this wildness of this love, transformational love of God everywhere we go. And thank you for making all of us fearfully and wonderfully made. We love you. Amen. All right, this is a reflection for us uh, before we leave. Uh, Protect the part of you that still winces in pain. Refuse to become too familiar with tragedy because our souls were made to stir. 
So here's the prayer that goes along with that, and then I'll have um, something for you to reflect on breathing and um, just to take with you as you leave. So God, who has moved to tears in a world of so much trauma and tragedy, it is difficult to not become numb. We confess we are desensitized to the cries of our neighbor. We confess that global terror rolls off us like oil. Help us to never become so familiar with pain that we grow disinterested in collective liberation. But keep us from that obsessive attunement which is prone towards savior complexes and feigned allyship. Lead us into a kind of solidarity that reminds us that in pausing to bear witness to suffering, we do not center ourselves as the rescuer. <coughs> we do not become the voice. And free us from the responsibility to feel every pain at once. Help us to discern our capacity for solidarity, for lament. Help us learn when we stand and when to rest, when to allow others to do so, remembering that our activism is a shared among a collective and we are not alone. So a way that we can carry this with us as we leave this place is to inhale on, I will not become numb, and exhale with, I allow my soul to stir. So if you want to join me, we'll just do that together. So on the inhale, we think or say out loud, I will not become numb. I will allow my soul to stir. So God bless you as you leave this place. And thanks for coming to Neighborhood Church.